Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today's topic is muscle mass to power your running performance. We're going to be looking into why lean muscle mass is important for running performance and the challenges of building and maintaining lean muscle mass as we approach midlife and beyond. We'll talk about some nutritional strategies and some exercise strategies to help you build and maintain muscle. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans helping you enjoy peak running performance, and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everybody, welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here once again with Aileen. And as I said last week, maybe you remember I was saying that I'm in Spain and the quality of the Wi-Fi wasn't quite so good over here. Uh, Well, I'm still here. So again, I do apologise in advance if the quality of this recording is a little bit compromised due due to that, but hopefully all will go smoothly. Um, So just moving on, as always, before we um, start speaking about the subject for today, which is all about muscle mass to power your running performance, we're going to share something personal with you about our nutrition or a running. So this episode is going to go out at the end of the summer and all being well, we'll all have enjoyed the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, even though it's 2021, um, as armchair spectators, of course. So Aileen, my question today to you is, what are your favourite Olympic memories? Um, well, I always get confused about this 2020 Olympics. I always have to take a moment to think, no, it's 2021 and <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's a year behind. Um, well, my birthday, I'm an August baby. So my birthday's in August and usually it falls uh, during the Olympics. So every four years, quite often I'm celebrating my birthday when there's something major going on in the Olympics, which uh, is, is great fun. And, mm-hmm. and I've got two particular uh, memories. Um, uh, the first was way back, and I, I, I think it was um, in the 92 Olympics, and it was when Linford Christie became uh, the third British athlete to win the uh, Olympic 100 metres, and that was Barcelona. Um, and his t- he was very fast. His time was 9.97 seconds. Um, just to give you an idea, um, Usain Bolt actually achieved 963 in 2012 so uh Usain Bolt was pretty amazing then Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember that and I just remember everybody being super super excited and it being like a really big deal um and then my my second um Olympic memories got to be 2012 because I I was lucky enough to go to the London Olympics and uh went into the ballot got some tickets um with some friends and so we actually went to a couple of events um we had a fabulous day and uh, we were at the track and i was lucky enough to see mo farrah qualify um, which was really exciting uh and then in the evening we were in the diving pool to see 
Tom Daly. So yeah, it was just it was just an amazing, amazing day. It was fantastic to be in London and, and just be oh and, and before that actually we went to Hyde Park and we saw the triathlon and um one of the friends that I was with, she was actually inspired to take up the triathlon after that. Um, so that was, you know, we just had an exciting day all round. It was fabulous. Um, and what about you, Karen? Have you got any favourite Olympic memories? Yes, I do, Aileen. And mine are all around the London 2012 um, Olympics as well, because um I was actually lucky enough to be a games maker. Um, I was actually uh, stationed at the Excel Centre throughout the Olympics. At the time, I was working for BA, and we got the opportunity to apply to be a volunteer. And I have to say, I really wanted to be part of it because it it really was a big part of of my history, certainly will be having the 2012 Olympics in in London. Um, and, And I was fortunate enough to be picked to be a games maker. I have to say, I enjoyed every minute. Um, I was hoping to be positioned in the Olympic Village, but I wasn't. Um, never mind. You know, I got I I, I was <laughs> I was lucky enough to be there um, most days. We did get days off, but uh, but I was I, I was I felt as though I was very much part of the um, of the Olympics and and the sports that were taking place at the Excel Centre, I have to say, are not really my sport. So it was the likes of the boxing, the fencing, the judo, etc. But I have to say, even though they were sports, the atmosphere was electric and and you kind of get pulled into that. And I I did actually see Anthony Joshua win gold. and, And oh, my goodness, his family were just so excited, so excited that one member came up to me and said, that's my cousin. That's my cousin. She was just so excited because he wasn't he was just an amateur at that time. So not really very well known. Very few people had actually heard of him, including me. I never heard of him before, and um, so so I have to say my memories of of twenty twelve will actually stay with me forever. It was just so exciting. Yeah, and every Olympics is exciting, even as you say, as an armchair spectator. I know this year I've been it's been hard to do work because I keep wanting to yes. watch television. But uh, yeah, lots of stories being made. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of history being made as well. So, okay, let's move on, Aileen, and get started on our discussion, which, um, like I said, is all about muscle mass to power your running performance. So today what we'll do, we're going to talk about why is lean muscle mass important for running performance. We're going to look at the challenges of building and maintaining lean muscle mass as we approach midlife and beyond. We're going to look at protein to support muscle mass and then also give you a suggested exercise framework to support midlife health. So, Aileen, could you maybe begin by outlining why lean muscle mass is important for running performance? Yeah, well, you know, lean muscle mass is is all about um, improving performance, but also minimizing and preventing injury. So a few key areas to, to think about. Um, are first of all that lean muscle mass increases metabolism so you're going to burn more calories both at rest and during work workouts which is going to support weight management and also body composition Um, if you've got a strong core that's going to improve your running efficiency Uh, your posture is going to be better Uh, you'll be more efficient in your movement and your form and that's going to lead to improved endurance and less fatigue especially on long endurance runs Um, also thinking about when your muscles are well conditioned they're going to perform better over distance so there's going to be less likelihood of fatigue hitting the wall um, maybe suffering from cramps and and we all know that good form and endurance leads to faster pace Uh, and then finally um, you're going to be minimizing the risk of injury uh, by minimizing the muscle imbalances or weaknesses which are often at the root of injuries so there's some really really great reasons I believe. 
Absolutely, Aileen. They're all really great reasons for, for just trying to maintain that muscle mass sort of from the early years, mid midlife and beyond. But also, you know, more strength means more joint stability, also stronger bones and ligaments, and also um, increased calorie burn, even during rest, like you were saying, because muscle burns more calories than fat. And as a runner's goal, I think, is often to to improve or maintain a lean body composition by shedding that excess fat and adding the lean muscle to help to improve that performance and to prevent injury like you were speaking about, Aileen. So today we're really going to focus on how to support muscle building. So Aileen, would you maybe start by sharing some information about the challenges of building and maintaining lean muscle mass as we sort of approach midlife and beyond that into older age yeah well i mean it's pretty well known that as we age we lose muscle mass and believe it or not that starts around the age of 30 which is quite young really um and so what happens is that muscle mass decreases approximately between three to eight percent per decade after the age of 30 and the rate of decline is even higher after the age of 60. And there are a few underlying reasons for this muscle loss as we age. Um, so first of all, we have lower levels of anabolic hormones, so they're the muscle-building hormones. Uh, there's a decrease in neuromuscular efficiency. Uh, there's a decrease in the communication between the brain, the nervous system, the central nervous system, and our muscles. And we also have a reduced ability to synthesize protein, which, as we know, is really important for muscle building. Mm, and I do think midlife with women do often talk about noticing loss of muscle mass, muscle tone, or that getting flabby. And and we may also notice in our elderly relatives in their late seventies and eighties almost shrinking as they lose muscle. And I can see this in my dad. I have to say, and this is known as sarcopenia. And and sarcopenia is is defined really as the presence of the low muscle mass together with low muscle function so that strength and that performance is actually diminishing so yeah I think that's so true it's as you know people in the 70s and 80s and beyond they they do shrink in front of you it's really interesting yeah it's, it's very marked and it can be quite surprising can't it when you can see somebody that you know as a loved one just they're you know people that have always been fit and strong they're, they're changing and it is a natural process and, and there's lots of research in the elderly population around nutrition and exercise interventions um, but from my experience in supporting elderly clients and family members it's a really challenging time of life to make changes and it, even when you make those changes it's difficult to get significant results so I, I personally feel I'm quite passionate about this that I think managing the risk factors for sarcopenia earlier in life is key um, so that you're not waiting until it happens um, so I, I think whilst muscle loss is a natural aging process and it is to be expected it's important for everybody especially runners that that we take steps to preserve uh, to preserve our, our muscle mass and, and aim to really slow down the loss of muscle mass as we get older so I think that's the that's the aim and, and a bit of a challenge really as well yeah, it, it is a big challenge for people. And Aileen, you said about um, it's about managing the risk factors for sarcopenia earlier in life and, and how important that is. What, what would you say are the main risk factors that we should be considering? Um, well, mostly they're sort of health and lifestyle things that we, we can all influence. Um, so obesity and having a higher BMI is a risk factor having diabetes, being a smoker, having a sedentary lifestyle and, and low physical activity, uh, a poor nutrition status and a suboptimal diet. So you can, you know, visualize all of these factors lead to you probably not being as healthy and as active as you can be. And having that means that or not having that means that your body isn't going to be as well toned really um so having a, an optimal body composition being active taking regular exercise 
having a nutrient dense food plan in early and midlife, I think is all going to be really supportive in slowing down that progression towards the age related sarcopenia. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you say, it's important to, to try and begin these changes, introduce this healthy way of living early, earlier in life, but it's never too late to start either. So whatever age you are, sort of just bringing in the, the regular exercise and the nutrient-dense food plan is going to hopefully be supportive for you and potentially slowing down that progression. So Aileen, you've outlined the, the risk factors um, here. Uh, are there any female factors we should be considering regarding um, sarcopenia or, or muscle mass? Um, well, there's not any clear evidence that one gender loses more muscle mass or they lose muscle mass more rapidly. Um, but there are some female factors and, um, you know, they're really related for, for women in the sort of peri and menopausal years because we go through hormonal changes and um, they really result in declining estrogen levels. And that appears to be related to changes in muscle mass. Um so a natural decline in these estrogen levels leads to progressive decrease of muscle mass and, and also strength and bone density. Um, and that might be one of the reasons, you know, you said earlier, Karen, that women report the loss of tone and flabbiness um, in midlife. And this, you know, seems to be an underlying reasons. Um, so I mentioned the decline of estrogen. Uh, well, there's three different types of estrogen, but it's the, in particular the estradiol form of estrogen that's implicated in changes in muscle regeneration. Um, and also skeletal muscle has estradiol receptors at a fiber level. Um, and estradiol can promote muscle regeneration by stimulating activity of muscle satellite cells. And these contribute towards muscle health. So if you've got decreased muscle satellite cells alongside uh, increased inflammatory markers and altered sex hormones. All of these things contribute to changes in, in muscle growth. Um, so I mentioned that the inflammatory markers there. So that there is a connection um, here and the, it's that evidence suggests that the menopause is closely associated with an increase in re the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines. So these are sort of chemical messengers um, that promote um, inflammation and particular ones that I've read about are interleukin IL-6, IL-1 and something called tumor necrosis factor A, TNF-alpha and they all can promote fat mass and compromise muscle function which all together lead to this sarcopenia um, so there's some sort of underlying things going on as we hit midlife that um, you know, are a bit of an issue. Absolutely, Aileen. Like you say, it is all very interesting and really another potential reason that midlife women experience changes in body composition. And, and I was also thinking about another female factor, Aileen, and that is the association between sarcopenia and osteoporosis. Because um, several studies have really highlighted this association between sarcopenia and osteoporosis, which is another age-related disease involving low bone mineral density, bone tissue frailty, and also increases that risk of fractures. And there is a, a prevalence of um, osteoporosis in postmenopausal women, which is thought to be associated with changes in hormonal balance. And, um, and there are many interactions between that muscle and bone health, which promotes good health or conversely could promote the sarcopenia and the osteoporosis. And, um, you know, we know already, we've spoken about this in the past, that musculoskeletal health involves the bones, the muscles and different tissues, which all respond positively and negatively to closely linked biomechanical and biochemical interactions. So from a bio biomechanical viewpoint, bone formation will be promoted 
um, by by strain. So, for example, that physical activity, which will also promote muscle mass, whilst inactivity will have that opposite effect so it will it will potentially lead to more degeneration of the muscle mass and then looking at it from a biochemical point of view the biochemical communications that take place between muscle and bone so this muscle bone crosstalk occurs since both mus- bone both muscle and bone act as endocrine organs secreting respectively myokines and osteokines which will influence the muscle growth and activity of the bone bone forming cells so you know they are really really closely linked and um, and also skeletal muscle releases hundreds of proteins and peptides which will also influence bone health so a huge amount of of close connection between muscle and bone and maintaining that healthy skeletal muscles so um and 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 can help in counteracting the osteoporosis potentially in postmenopausal women so a lot of really interesting information out there and how I think it shows how the musculoskeletal system works in an interconnected way. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, Karen? That, you know, we, and I always think this, we always think about bones as being inert, and but they're not, you know, they, there's a lot going on there. And, and obviously we're now, you know, realising that the muscle health is going to affect the bone health and vice versa. So the two things go really um, hand to hand. It's not really the right way of explaining it, but that's what I mean. Um, uh, we, we did talk about bone health in two episodes, episode 21 and episode 24. There's a lot of really important information there. Um, and I think that would be really helpful um, to listen alongside this, um, this episode. Um, so, yeah really important female factor thinking about um, building muscle and protecting against osteoporosis at the same time yeah absolutely okay so we now have the background to why it's important to maintain and build muscle as a runner and also some of the potential challenges facing us in midlife and beyond so next what we'll do is we'll look at what we can do to support muscle mass with protein and exercise. But before we do that, Aileen, shall we just have a, a short advert break? Yeah, sure, Karen. So this is the, the moment of the episode where Karen and I take a minute to talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. Um, so Karen and I are just like you. We're busy working women. We run for fitness, health, achievement, and a bit of fun as well. Um, but over the years, even as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running performance struggles. Uh, but we always manage to resolve these struggles with our foundational everyday healthy eating plan. And we fine tune uh, that eating plan with sports nutritional principles. And that helps us maximize our running performance and also, importantly, minimize injury. Um, and we turned our food plans into Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners, which is an online program. It's a short and sweet video program. Uh, you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks, or you can take as long as you need to. Um, so if you've been listening today and thinking you'd like to know more about how to apply everyday nutrition alongside sports-specific nutrition, uh, we really believe this program is a great place to start. Uh, and we give you lots of information um, in in an easy format alongside some easy action steps too. So if you're interested, um, check out the program at our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. Look at the top menu bar and check out uh, the online program. And if you have a look at it and you've got any questions, feel free to email us. And our email address is hello at runnershealthhub.com. And also as a thank you to you as one of our valued listeners, we've got a special offer for you to use if you're interested in purchasing the program. Um, So if you get to the the shopping cart, you'll find that it'll ask you if you've got a coupon code and use the coupon code POD. So that's P-O-D. And that will automatically give you a 33% discount off the full price. And that brings down the the program price to £199, which is a really great um, offer for you. So if you're interested in that, um, 
check out our show notes. We've got the coupon code listed there just in case you, you can't remember it later on. Check the show notes. It's, it's in there with every episode. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about easy nutrition for healthy runners. Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. So now let's move on and think about protein to support muscle mass. And to improve body composition, the key really is to lose excess body fat and add lean muscle. And to achieve this, it's really important to follow a double-pronged approach, really, and that is to eat to get lean and to include specific exercise workouts, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Now, there are three areas we suggest that you sh- you could focus on nutritionally. One is to eat for energy balance, so eating enough to fuel your training and adjust it down for light exercise and also rest days. The second is using carbohydrates strategically for training and body composition. And then thirdly, it's to ensure your protein intake is optimal. So today what we're going to do is to focus on the protein and how dietary protein may support building lean muscle mass. So Aileen, what do we need to take into consideration when we're thinking about protein and um, building lean muscle mass? Yeah, well, I think maybe it's helpful just to um, sort of have a little bit of reminder about what's going on, how we actually build muscle from a, a biological point of view. So at a very basic level, when we exercise, uh, muscle tissue breaks down and the body activates muscle protein synthesis to repair muscle. Uh, and the role of muscle protein synthesis to muscle protein breakdown determines whether the tissues are built or lost. So if the the break the building up part the synthesis part is higher than the breakdown part then uh, muscle growth will be achieved and it will be the opposite way around if breakdown is higher than synthesis um, so that's a sort of a basic concept uh, another thing to um, remember is that amino acids are required for this muscle protein synthesis process and when we eat protein it's digested and it's broken down into amino acids and, and they're used for many functions, uh, including muscle rebuilding. Um, so what we need to take into consideration in our midlife age stage is that, and and also as we get older too, um, we may not digest and absorb protein as optimally um, as we did when we were younger. And also that we have aging skeletal muscle and that has a reduced ability to respond to amino acid levels. So this is, you know, it is a challenge and it's something that will be a continual challenge as, as we get older. Um, so all of this is, is sort of leading us um, to really support the, the research that the protein intake for um to have benefits for menopausal women needs to be higher than the recommended daily allowance. So, you know, as we know, there's a range of um, how much protein you should take a day. Um, And, you know, really for menopausal women, it's it's between 1.2 gram and 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight per day, probably leaning towards the higher level. Um, So that's sort of a general guidance. Mm. Okay, so Aileen, you're saying that the RDA um, for postmenopausal women is between 1.2 grams to 1.6 grams per kilogram weight per day. But what is the recommendation on on how to consume that daily protein allowance? Is it best to take it in one meal, or should it be spread over the day? Well, there is a bit of a debate about that. So there's a debate about whether what they call protein pulse feeding, so that's having all your protein in one meal, um, is that more efficient than protein spread feeding where you take the amount of protein and and break it down into different meals and snacks over a day? Um, So the question is, which one is better in improving protein retention uh, and also postprandial amino acid concentration? So you know, just picking out a couple of examples. Uh, one study that I read said that frequent and consistent consumption of meals containing between 30 to 45 grams of protein 
or protein supplementation. Um, and they looked at breakfast and lunch and that they felt that that was associated with better lean mass, muscle mass preservation in older people. So probably we're talking about people older than menopause here. Um, and then an, another study um, found no differences. So they said that the, they couldn't find any particular um, benefit from um, having between the two different protein distribution patterns, as, as they described it. Um, but I think my view, and I think you'll probably agree with me here, Karen, is it's probably best to spread your protein across your meals and some snacks. Um, I think that digestion will be more effective in this way. And, and we also know that it supports blood sugar balance um, and, and therefore your energy levels and your body composition and your hormonal balance will all be supported. Um, so I, I think that that would be sort of my view. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Karen. Yeah, no, I would agree with you, Aileen. It is interesting that you find some research that says that having it in, in one bolus, so to speak, so one meal could be um, positive. Certainly looking at it from a performer's point of view, the science would suggest that it's better to have it spread out during the day because they found that having more than I think it's about 25 grams to 30 grams per serving certainly isn't going to support performance but then again here we're looking at it from a muscle mass point of view so having more per serving maybe uh, would be supportive but still having it spread out throughout the day rather than uh, at one meal so I would yes I would I would agree with you there and, and I think also research suggests that that whey protein stimulates this prospandial muscle protein turnover um, the most efficiently. So, so the continuing breakdown and synthesis of proteins in in the body, um, whey protein is really good at stimulating that, and and also recycling of amino acids. Now, this is generally because whey is digested quickly and also has a high concentration of the amino acid leucine, and leucine triggers the muscle building cascade and. A lot of people will probably know that leucine is one of the branch chain amino acids, with the other two being isoleucine and valine. Now, they're predominantly broken down in the, in the muscle, so they bypass the liver, therefore making them more efficient at activating this muscle synthesis. Um, if I would say, sort of thinking about... Um, protein supplement powders if you do choose one then I'd suggest maybe selecting a whey-based one or one that includes the branch chain amino acids just because of their efficiency in building muscle but you know, there are also a lot of protein foods which include the branch chain amino acids and Aileen and I are always saying that food comes first. So some of the foods that you could consider to ensure that you're getting the three key branch chain amino acids are meat, poultry and fish. Also eggs, um, dairy products such as milk and cheese. Also, you'll get some in nuts and seeds, in soy products such as tofu and tempeh, and also in some of the legumes um, such as you know the beans, the peas, and the lentils. So this just ensures that both the, the meat eaters but also the vegetarians and the vegans are um, able to 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 eat foods that, that contain the, the branch chain amino acids because they are essential amino acids. And what I mean by that is that the body cannot make them. So we do need to get them from our diet or our supplements. So, um, so they are really important for a runner and need to be found from food. Yeah, and we, we always do say, Karen, don't we, food first. Um, so it's really important to focus on getting your daily protein requirements from real food um, and use protein powders as supplements, perhaps as part of a smoothie or as an ingredient in a protein bowl or a bar or a meal. Um, but just remember food first is going to be the most supportive. Um, 
so Karen, I wondered if you would explain the rationale be, behind the advice, which is to have protein foods after a, a strength training session. Yeah, absolutely, Ailey. So, so muscle protein synthesis, um, you know, is known to enhance. Um, is known to be enhanced really by consuming protein and immediately following resistance training. Now, we're always speaking about having carbohydrates immediately after a long run. Here with, um, with strength training, you're looking at um, muscle protein synthesis. So you want to be having protein immediately following any, any strength resistance exercise. Um, and the, the amino acids that are derived from the prote protein will then be shut to the muscles, replacing any lost due to the exercise and stimulating muscle protein synthesis through exercise and diet can really help accelerate that muscle growth that can help improve the recovery, but also the athletic um, performance, as well as helping to increase your overall endurance, really. So for a runner who's, who's um, performing um, strengthening overall by eating and exercising in this way, it will it will support your endurance. And it is thought that there's an increased amino acid delivery to the muscle through blood flow after exercise. Um, but just remember that muscle protein synthesis will continue for up to 24 hours following exercise as, as long as there are sufficient amino acids available. So maintaining your protein intake throughout the day following your exercise will also be important so hopefully that that helps people understand the, the rationale behind having protein foods after after strength training yeah I think it really does Karen particularly thinking about the blood flow and the amino acid pool being available you know for the following day so yeah good reasons to to make sure you're spreading your protein I think mm -hmm. um, so that's a that's a great reminder thank you and and just also to remind everybody that we do have an episode on protein powders um just a couple ago so that's episode 66 so that's a good one to listen to alongside alongside this one Great, thanks, Aileen. So, so let's move on. Um, you know, we all know that together, nutrition and exercise support the body composition, fitness, and our performance. And we're not exercise specialists, but we what we're going to do now is just aim to give you a bit of an exercise framework to hopefully support mus muscle strength. So, Aileen, thinking about that, what suggestions could we make uh, regarding health and in particular building muscle strength in midlife years, thinking of it from an exercise point of view? Yeah, well, I think... You know, many of our listeners will be aware that musculoskeletal health is vital as we age, and we, we've outlined a lot of the reasons for that already today. And um, you know, many of the women that I know will they know that they have to cross train, and and they'll they'll run and they'll do gym sessions, and they might add in Pilates and yoga to their exercise plans alongside their running training. Uh, and we also know that resistance exercise is a trigger for muscle protein synthesis and that can work in synergy with adequate protein intake as we've just outlined. Um, but as you say, Karen, you know, our area of expertise is nutrition, not exercise. Um, but I did find some, a really interesting study which looked at nutrition and exercise together. Um, so it was the exercise piece that I found really interesting in preparing uh, for this, this episode. And um, so I, I thought I could outline uh, some of the information that I discovered there. And the study um, was a 2018 review study, and it was uh, the title of it was Muscle and Bone Health in Postmenopausal Women, the Role of Protein and Vitamin D Supplementation Combined with Exercise Training. So they examined the rationale and the effects of dietary protein, vitamin D, and calcium supplementation combined with a specifically designed exercise training prescription um, as a strategy to counteract um, postmenopausal associated disorders. So that's quite, a, you know, wordy, but um, basically it's saying they looked at 
various aspects of food, protein, vitamin D and calcium alongside a specific training regime. And um, they looked at how that affected postmenopausal uh, women. Um, so the thing that I really liked here was that they, they talked about this exercise prescription and it was based on um, a prescription that was um, designed by uh, the American College of Sports Medication and it was called the FIT VP principle, so F I T T VP principle. And, you know, I'm sure if you're an exercise specialist, this kind of thing is just like, you know, rolling off the tongue, but it was quite a revelation for me, I have to say. So it was all about that. So F stands for frequency, I intensity, the T's were time and tight, uh, type. So that is um, F I T T. The V was for volume and P was for progression. So they have uh, the ACSM have a, an exercise prescription formula for lots of different types of exercise. And if you Google them, you'll find lots of different ones. It's really interesting. Um, but the, the review, um, this, this study used their, their particular formula and they incorporated insights from other studies to make recommendations for postmenopausal women. So it was like a, a combined um uh, exercise, if you like, they they put two things together to to help. Gosh, that's fascinating, Aileen. I've never heard of Fit VP either, um, so I'd be really interested in knowing more. So, so what what were they recommending? Yeah, well, they recommended lots of things. So I'll, I'll just give you a big broad overview. Um, but basically, they were saying every week it's recommended that women have a mix of different types of exercise. Um, and th there's a great big table that they put in this research paper. Um, and the types of exercise were aerobic exercise, which was described as being cardio endurance exercise. Um, there was resistance um, strength training. There was flexibility, which was described as stretching, and there was balance, so four different elements. So for the aerobic exercise, um, that also included weight-bearing activities, so things like walking, jogging, dancing, or other activities where your full body weight is supported by your limbs. So for us, obviously, it would be running. Um, and what they recommend is five moderate sessions of 30 to 60 minutes and three vigorous sessions of 20 to 60 minutes a week um, to support your um, aerobic uh, endurance exercise. And then moving on to resistance, uh, they described that as any type of, uh, exercise, of movement, they said, designed to in improve muscular fitness by exercising a muscle or a muscle group against external resistance. And they talked about exercise and breathing techniques being of paramount importance. Um, so things like free weights, resistance machines, and weight-bearing functional tasks. Um, so I'm guessing that's sort of lifting things probably and pushing things. Um, and they recommend exercise for – they split it into novice exercise and experienced exercises. And they suggested 8 to 12 reps of no more than 8 exercises in one to two sessions for novices per week. And then they upgraded that to two to three for more experienced exercises. So if you're more experienced to do it two to three times a week. So those were the two biggies. And then they also focused on flexibility and they suggested a, a set of stretching exercise three times a week. And then on balance, they suggest 20 minutes daily. And again, the suggestion there is a mixture of standing still balances, uh, progressing um, to dynamic balancing exercise where you might work through a flow of exercises. So, so there was a lot there. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll put the link to the paper because I think people might want to just look at this table. Um, there was a lot of information. It went over two pages. So you can imagine I'll just sort of try to condense it, Karen. Um, mm. But when I, when I read it, I thought, ooh, that sounds a lot. <laughs> but then when I read, thought about it a bit longer, I, I realized that, you know, often in an exercise session, you combine a few of these things together. Um, so it, you know, you might be doing more than you actually think uh, that you are. So I don't know. I don't know what you thought, Karen, when you were listening to that. Oh my goodness, Aileen! Like you, I was thinking, gosh, that's an awful lot. There's no way I I fit all that in a, in a, a week. But I I think 
on analysis, I probably do do all of them at some point during the week. But I have to say, I don't do them all for the, the length of the time recommended. And I'm thinking here of um, of the balance exercises. There's no way I complete balance exercises for 20 minutes on a daily basis. And, uh, and I know I don't stretch enough. Uh, definitely not. So I do think you know, listening to you, Aileen, I do think things need to change and I need to be looking at it um, from all those four perspectives and how much of that do, do, I, do I do on a daily and weekly basis? And I need a timetable, I think. What <laughs> <laughs> about you, Aileen? Are there any areas that you would add to your exercise plan from from learning more about this? Yeah, well, I've been trying to justify lots of things to myself. (laughs) One of the things that I do regularly is I do reformer Pilates three to four times a week. Um, And the thing I love about that is you're combining strength, flexibility and balance all in one session. Maybe not for that length of time. You know, I I tend to do, I think the sessions that I do are about 50 minutes long. um, But, you know, they do combine those different elements. Um, But I think the extras that I need to do is step up my resistance and strength exercise because although on the reformers you know you're doing it with weighted bands and things like that um I'm not really doing very much weightlifting, and I used to do that and I think that's something I need to add back in and maybe also do an extra aerobic style session a week um but I think the big message for me is I need to do more shorter sessions um for for every type of exercise and do them more frequently rather than do big chunks of things <laughs> so mm-hmm. so yeah it's um it, i found it really a really interesting read and uh, as i said i'll put a link in into the show notes for the paper and if you if you're you know a layman and you don't want to read all everything just look at pages seven and eight and you'll see the tables on exercise and I mean, I was even thinking, you know, I need to print this off and, and take this to the Pilates studio and say to them, this is what I need <laughs> to see if they can suggest how I do some of these things. Because, uh, as mm-hmm. I say, they probably already know about this. It's just me that's, uh, you know, yeah, didn't know about it. I have to say, Aileen, you've given us an awful lot of food for thought. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are thinking, well, do I do this? Do I do that? Oh, my goodness. So um, but I think we do need to round up now. So before we go, could I just ask you to um, summarise your key takeaways from this episode? Yeah, sure, Karen. Um, so we started off by talking about the reasons for a runner to build lean muscle mass. And that predominantly was to increase metabolism. So remember, you'll burn more calories and that will support weight management and body composition. Um, developing a strong core will improve running efficiency in your movement and form, and that will lead to less fatigue and improved endurance. Uh, remember that well-conditioned muscles con- will perform better over distance. Good form and endurance leads to a faster pace, and also um, you'll minimize the risk of injury by minimizing muscle imbalances and weaknesses. Um, we then talked about how muscle mass decreases by uh, between 3 to 8% per decade after the age of 30, and the rate of decline is even higher after the age of 60. And as runners, it's really important that we take steps to preserve our muscle mass and and steps to aid the aim to slow down the loss of muscle mass as we age. Uh, from a female factor point of view, there is a natural decline in, in estrogen in midlife, and particularly estradiol is implicated in changes in muscle regeneration in menopausal women. Um, we talked about the the close connection between muscle and bones and how they interact biomechanically and biochemically uh, to maintain a healthy skeletal muscle mass. Uh, And they also will help in the prevention or progression of osteoporosis in menopausal women. Um, We talked about protein intake and how important it is for muscle protein synthesis um, and that the protein intake required for postmenopausal women is higher than the recommended daily allowance. And so we suggest an intake between 1.2 grams to 1.6 kilogram, grams per kilogram body weight. Sorry, I've got a bit of a tongue twister there. Um, choosing 
Food first is really important um, and also choosing protein supplements may also be supportive. Um, but choosing foods which include branched chain amino acids, especially leucine, is going to help trigger the muscle building cascade. Uh, resistant exercise is a trigger for muscle protein synthesis and can work in synergy with adequate protein intake. So I guess if you're starting from zero with regards to the, the exercise plan we're talking about, maybe starting with some resistance or adding in some resistance exercise to your running plan would be really helpful. Um, we suggest following the uh, American College of Sports Medicine's um, FIT VP principle, which is short for frequency, intensity, time, type, volume and progression. Right. Thanks very much, Aileen. So we're all going to read that paper now that you're going to post for us and see how we can fit fit VP into our lives on a regular basis. But I do hope that uh, everybody has found this information really helpful and useful. I know I find it a really interesting conversation as always. So thank you, Aileen. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. Mm-hmm.